287, being recorded March 30th, 2020. Welcome to Gaming NBS, a tabletop RPG podcast. I'm Sean. I'm Brett. How you doing, folks? Glad to have everybody here. Before we get into um, announcements, I think, well, we played a couple games this last weekend. You had the Virtual Gary Con stuff, and then we had a chance to play Astonishing Swordsman and Sorcerers of Hyperborea with the one, the only, the Tim Shane. And I got to say, I got to say that... Uh, Astonishing Swordsman's game was pretty fucking awesome. I had a good time with that. A lot of fun. The folks were in on it. You know, Wayne, Curtis, uh, Jeff, and uh, oh, let's see, that Hobbs guy, you, me. It was fun. Damn fine time. And uh, I, I, I said this on my Twitter posts and other social media spaces, but I think Tim did a great job. I've read enough of the setting, as I said, when we had Tim on the show. I know enough about it, and I was ready ready for the environment. I knew kind of how I wanted it to feel. And I thought Tim did a bang up job. So thank you, sir. That was very, very well done. Sean, what, after we had talked about it and that's the first time you'd played it as well, did you, um, did it hit your expectations or were you like, huh, that's what that's about or something in between maybe? I did feel as though it met expectations. Um, I mean, when I say feel right, is like it felt like Tim and Brett were talking about last time. It didn't have the, oh, this is just another Forgotten Realm setting type of thing. Correct. Yes, I would agree with that for sure. Good, good, yeah. good, good. Yeah. Um, I think Tim did an excellent job with capturing the overall feel of what Sound of Machine Swordsman is, Sorcerer, such Hyperborea is all about. I mean, Little cult action, evil gods. I almost died, but went insane instead. That was good. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That's true. That's right. Wayne did die. First guy. First, he's the only one who did die. And yeah, he he died big time. He got cut in half. <laughs> I I did like Sean's. I'm a cleric, quote unquote. And I'm like, he's a fucking bard. He's got to be a bard. He's got to be a goddamn bard. Yes, turns out son of a bitch was a bard man, the whole I don't know time. what you're talking about, man. The bard and cleric's vestments. Mm-mm-mm. All right, so I did not have any other gaming. Uh, besides getting prepped, I've got two games this week with my home group. I'm running my Avalon game, The One-Eyed Raven, Story, the title of that one, tomorrow, kicking that off with my boys, and then Dungeon of the Mad Mage on Thursday. But you... You, Mr. Sean, had some other games I'm interested in hearing about. You played uh, Low Fantasy, I believe, and you also played Labyrinth Lord. It all started on uh, Thursday when I... uh, Thursday? Could have been. Who knows? It's a blur. When I uh, played Delta Green. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, man. How'd you you like it? I liked it. It was was good. Forrest tied it into actual... The, the, the end of the mission, uh, he turned it into or tied it to an actual event that occurred. Nice. Yeah. And then, of course, we got to narrate the end of of our kind of arc, like what, what our characters went on to do. Oh, cool. At Very least cool. the survivors. 
And so because we blew up a large portion of Central America, creating an earthquake. Oops. Uh, of course, some were guilt-ridden and found themselves feeling guilty and then subsequently going down maybe not such a good path. Where my character, he went on to continue service in the military, eventually uh, become a poster child for the Republican Party and then an actual candidate for Senate. Oh. Uh, yeah. Interesting. US, U.S. Senate. Um, yeah. And he, you know, through some of the wheelings and dealings, he had kept in touch with some of those old guys from uh, that mission. And Back in the day. They, they were part of a, they were like donating money to causes. And so I would help do that okay. kind of on, on the sly. But uh, yeah. So let me ask you this. Now that you played it, I had a feeling that after you played this, you might say, oh, I should have been running Delta Green with Doc and the guys. The reason I say that is because those guys like Shadowrun, and this has a more Shadowrun-type feel, in my opinion, where you've got a, a mission, a thing to do, black ops type of deal. At least it can. So do you think that would go over better than Masks with that group? Uh, yeah, I could see... Maybe I, go over is relative, but I think that they. I'm saying action, man. Yeah, there is more action because you look, you you snoop, you poke around, you pull data, and then fuck it, you shoot people, or you get shot at. Things blow up, right? Which isn't normal in your regular Call of Cthulhu game, at least not as often. No, that's true. So I, but yeah, it was fun. It was great. I had a really good time. It was a three-hour short uh, adventure mission. I definitely could see where I would, uh, given my background, turn that sucker up to about 11. <laughs> not that, and I'm not, that's not a knock on Forrest to Gary by any means, but, you know, I. What's well, the style thing, man? Well, yeah. I mean, they were like, he gave pre gens, and I didn't really look at the pre gen as far as like um, what weapons I was assigned. Like, oh, I was a okay. shotgun breacher guy, right? So, yeah, yeah. you know, I went through, I went through a full loadout. Like, Forrest, Forrest is like, well, you know, if there's anything special that you want, let me know. And I just went through and equipped my guy as if I was that guy. Like, I, well, all right, I need an M16, a breaching tool, I need this, yeah, I need this, flashbangs, I need two canteens. <laughs> you know, wow, uh, two uh, first aid pouches. Nice. Yeah, yeah, backpack, prick seventy seven. You know all this stuff. So cool, man. Yeah, it was fun. What'd but, you do? What you? Oh, sorry, go. No, I was going to say that, but going into what you were getting at, then Saturday morning, 8 a.m., uh, played in Jason Hobbs's um, game, Whitestone Tower. Was that the low fantasy? Um, hold on a second. I got an echo coming. Shoot. Uh, it is. Okay. So we talked a little bit about low fantasy as the pre-game bullshittery for uh, the Astonishing Swordsman's game that Tim ran. And I remember hearing about it before going, huh, that seems interesting. It seems like it might be a, a Brett jam and I never got into it. So um, I think Wayne, um, hopefully Mr. Lumberunner is going to hook me up with a co his copy of the rules that I can um, borrow off of him and read. So that's kind of very nice of him. Not kind of, it is very nice of him. 
However, Hobbs said on the show, and then afterwards, he's like, man, I love that game. I said, okay, cool. But I wanted to know what you thought about it. And because when I hear about it and I read it, um, I'll read about it. That's kind of like I said with Astonishing Swords. me, like, oh, I have a vision in my head. You may not know all the mechanics and the rules or whatnot behind Low Fantasy, but what was your impression? Did it feel as advertised, right? Like the outside of tin says, low magic, gritty realism type of thing. And you look inside and you go, hey, yeah, look at that. Doesn't have many marshmallows at all. Or how how do you what do you think? I th- for Hobbs's game, it was good. Um, well, I'm not talking about how good the game was. It's Hobbs. He runs a good game. Yeah, yeah. Ha-ha. I'm talking about the game itself. Like, did you like it? Did you have fun with the low fantasy setup? I did. And the thing is with the game itself, because it was in Roll20 and the player character sheets were really well done, there wasn't a ton of... Um, knowledge needed about the rules. Okay. Right? So if you rolled for initiative, you'd click the initiative die roller, and then Hobbs would just explain, because in that game, there's success, great success, or failure. And it's dependent upon your target creature on whether you need a success or a great success to go before it. Okay. Right. So I didn't need to know what that meant. I didn't need it. I would just click a button, right? Where in the rules, it would say, well, you have a target number. This target number is on your character sheet. It's derived from this. And when you roll it and you go above it, it's a success. If you go above it by this much, it's a great success. So literally, it would just be like, it would tell me the numbers, but I wouldn't even look at it. It would just, I would look at the end result. Got it. Yeah. Okay. But did you like the, uh, the the mechanics overall as far as fun? It felt Did it feel low fantasy to you or did it feel like, eh, it was just D&D with less rules or different rules? What did you think that way? Because um, it, 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 it had some skills still to it. Um, there was an, a little bit of an element to, to that component. Um that that did so it wasn't like okay here's basic and you don't have any skills and you're narrating everything so it wasn't bx od and d type of thing okay all right I, does that make sense yeah it does totally makes sense all right but you had fun with it you liked it i did then you played labyrinth lord as well correct i did play labyrinth lord um that was paul wolf uh, so tournament I've, style. Okay. I've not played Labyrinth Lord. However, I have always heard really good things about it. Did it strike you as, oh, that's a neat that's a neat OSR clone, or wow, that's something I want on my shelf type of thing, or, or it's good? I, get, I, I, I mean, I'm giving you far too many one, you know, either all in or out, all out options here. But did you like it enough that you would contemplate playing it again, running it, or... So one of the things I've had, a personal peeve, if you will, with some retro clones is I'm like house rules as far as the eye can see, right? Where they feel very much like blah, but and I, I can't tell some of them apart in play. At least that's how it feels sometimes. 
So I'm curious as to did, was this because I've heard Labyrinth Road Lord people said, oh, it's like BX. And I've said, heard, heard people tell me, no, it's like AD&D. No, it's more like blah, blah, blah or whatever. So what was your take off of it after you played? Um, I would say it's the way – so I have Labyrinth Lord and I have okay. it from the Kickstarter and the – the basic and it has the basic and advanced versions in it and the advanced versions unlocks certain classes that weren't in the basic like i think assassin maybe illusionist i have to look the race as class or class plus race i think it's race as class if i'm not mistaken i know people that are like osr just like probably if i have that wrong are just jumping through all right chaos right now but um, you know, I, it's, it, I couldn't get a hold of that and my head wrapped around it myself, Brett, because it's not like basic expert to me. It, at least it didn't feel like it. I think the way Paul ran it, it did. Okay. But when hmm. I was creating my character, I'm like, oh, okay. There's these things. Like there was a little bit more to it than just, I'd have to look, man. I'd have to. Reference All right. Both. So now that this is not a knock against game master or player. So if anybody takes this conversation as such, I apologize. That's not my intent. I think it's interesting to me sometimes then I'll, I'll run a game or I'll play a game. And sometimes I'm like, oh, that was interesting, but it doesn't really stick with me. Or I'll read a game system. And sometimes I think when some of them don't stick with me, like some of the OSR clones, is because I read through them and go, huh. That's basically Swords and Wizardry, except it does initiative different. I'm making that up. Or it's a lot like, um, you know, I, I don't know, Osric, except, or whatever the case is. It just, it needs to be different enough for me to want to grab onto it that it doesn't feel like a house rule off of X or something. I don't know. I guess it's got to really kind of grab me. And that's why Low Fantasy seemed interesting enough to me, because it reminds me a little bit of what I've been reading of kind of how DCC slaps the OSR chassis on a fairly newish game system, mechanic-wise. And I uh, think Low Fantasy seems to do a similar piece. It's taking the feeling and whatnot, but still putting that onto a newer game system uh, chassis. So anyway, all right, cool. I'll have to find me a copy of Labyrinth Lord, read it, and see what I think about it. If nothing else, maybe pick up the PDF, because I know they're relatively cheap. And uh, scope one of those out. Okay, cool. Cool, cool, cool. It was fun. We didn't do very well in the tournament, but, eh. you know, what are you going to do? And, you know, honestly, I didn't know it was a tournament until you just told me today. So sometimes tournament play, to me, at least in my brief experiences with tournament modules and such, there's not always the best way to find out if you like a system. Because sometimes there's tournaments can have constraints or strangeness about it that aren't quite the same as a regular game you'd play with your friends. So, yeah. Interesting. Okay, cool. Don't want to beat that one to death too long. Um, Is the the survey done? Jump over to that. The survey is done uh, as of the end of this recording. And so you and I will have to take a look at the results of that and see what we want to do. On top of that, I may add that... I emailed my my masks group 
and they were because they were like, "Hey, man, we're playing Tuesday, or, or are we? Like, what's going on? You know, you haven't updated us on what you want to do." So I emailed oh. them and said, "Hey, I'm gonna hang up the game for the time. Oh, excuse me, the time being, because I've got too many balls up in the air for the most part." So I was there. Dis- was there disappointment? Uh, is it, what it the. What? Say that again? Were the were the players disappointed? Like, they oh, haven't responded. Really... Like, I literally oh, emailed okay. them this morning and said, hey, I'm going to hang up the game for now. I'm willing to play every other Tuesday, but... Just not running. I don't have the time to dedicate to it because I do want to get games off for Patreons. Nope. Yep. I hear you. Or patrons, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, and what that looks like, and then... Yeah, what and everything else that I got going on, which isn't a ton, but dude, shit, shit adds up, man. It does. Yeah, it does not take much. Well, and it wouldn't take much to just fire up Zoom and go, okay, we're gonna play. Ready? Okay, and then just right. Last time we left off, you're in New York City and you're dealing with this. So, yeah, but also if you're kind of like meh on the game yourself right now, what's the point of? pushing it yeah and it's kind of what you sound like you were last time so a little bit all right so having said that i don't mean to analyze you there brother i'm sorry but having said that i think what's going to happen is we will brett and i are going to come together figure out what we want to do and how we want to run games Mm -hmm. we'll run them online um obviously and then whether we're doing one shots mini campaigns West Marches style. Yeah. You know, because that'll eat up time. Points of light type. We'll see. Gotcha. Okay, cool, man. All right. So, survey's done. Uh, That's enough of that bullshittery. Let's go on to random encounter. Yeah, random encounter. Let's just move in. Random encounter segment of the show where we handle emails, voicemails, and comments from social media. Uh, You want to read this one, Sean? You seem down. Maybe this will pick you up. All right. You seem a little bummed out, man. Saul. Comments referencing a few previous episodes. So he writes, so I live in San Jose and I'm under a shelter in place order. Uh, Woohoo. More computer games and online RPGs, but I'm a grocery clerk, so I get to go to work. First of all, everybody out there be safe. You included, Saul. Absolutely, man. And I'll tell you what, that I hope I hope people are treating you well. I hear some horror stories about people treating folks in your line of work quite shittily and uh may a pox land upon anyone who does that to thee sir yeah carry on Sean. i haven't written to you guys in a while so i have a few short comments on a few previous episodes books articles about rpging that i have that i have read uh i really only bought one and that was never unprepared which i thought was really good It had some great ideas of cutting down your prep and focusing your time on what is really needed. Other than that, I come from the Brett side of GMing from the seat of my pants. I used to prep like crazy, but now I just come up with cool problems and have the PCs figure out a solution. That makes sense. I like it. Yeah. Kickstarters. Well, I don't think I do very many, but my wife, Jolene, always laments my Kickstarters. (laughs) <laughs> I like physical books. I like RPGs that I find interesting. I like something that I don't already have in my, in my according to my wife, vast RPG collection. 
I have kickstarted Avalon by your bud Brett. Oh, sweet. Thanks, man. Paddle uh Paladin, uh Aquilaire, Aquilaire, Conan, uh RPG Zine, John Carter of Mars. I've been extremely lucky that I have gotten everything I pledged for. Pretty cool. The practice episode. So referencing the practice episode. Um, let's see, he says. Uh well, I probably have over 10,000 hours of RPG playing, but I have been playing since 1978 and haven't really ever stopped. I don't think you need 10,000 hours to be a good RPG player or a game master. What you need is to get rid of all the adult inhibitions uh, you learn from uh, inhibitions. Learn from your GM mistakes and play with various GMs and see if people have a fun time. See what and how the GM facilitates that fun that fun time. Audio, so he goes to the audio episode. I've always wanted to do audio, but only every once in a while have I done something online, but nothing more than background music. One of my friends ran a con game where he had a person just help with the audio, a dedicated audio dude. It was amazing, but most of us don't have that audio dude in your back pocket. Innovations in the RPG industry. Wow, this one blew my mind, Sean. I think we gamers have not been all that imaginative in this area of gaming. I'm happy just to get a PDF with uh, uh, with bookmarks. I think the best one I ever had was Nova Praxis, but I still get PDFs that don't even do simple bookmarks. I really like your ideas, and somebody, sadly not me, should work on some of your ideas. I thought they were quite brilliant. Anyway, BNS, stay safe, stay healthy, and see you on the other side of the COVID nineteen crisis, Saul. Thanks, man. Yeah, I appreciate thanks, you still listening and uh, taking the time to write, man. That is awesome. Good input too. Was okay. Let's see who we got next. Bruce comments on innovation in RPG delivery. This one is a really interesting subject. Now, I'm not a developer of any kind and of only a layman's understanding with most of the tech, but I can see all kinds of challenges and only a relatively small audience for a new, potentially online, publishing format for RPGs. I'd love to see it happen, though. Just imagine you can get that perfect solution together that allows publishers to, to combine text, images, video, hyperlinks, maps, layered maps compatible with a, ride with a wide range of virtual tabletop systems, tokens for the same, sound effects, and music. How would you market it? Do you keep it for your own RPG product, assuming you're a publisher? That'd be narrow-minded and likely to more fragmented market space. Would you license it out to other publishers for a fee? Maybe, but bear in mind that many RPG publishers are tiny do-it-yourself operations. Would you make it freely available in the hopes of becoming the new format, effectively replacing PDF or other eBooks? Awesome, but then you have to swallow a pretty hefty development cost. It's a great idea, but I suspect the cost developing the perfect solution may mean we're stuck with PDFs for a while yet. Incidentally, Purple Sorcerer's DCC modules are really great in PDF. Most come with an appendix that contains stuff intended for printing, paper minis, maps, often with and without battle grids, and handouts, but it's also relatively easy to grab images and use them to make tokens and maps for online play. Bruce. You know, I think one of the things that I'm noticing coming out of this, and we said it ourselves, and Bruce saying it here just underscores it for me, is this shit's expensive to make, and I get it. And it Every time I hear the phrase, the RPG industry, I chuckle because it's a hobby. It's a hobby industry. It's not an industry like manufacturing computers or an industry like, you know, making women's clothing or making furniture or 
or making electronic equipment or something. It's not, or the car industry and so on. It's a very niche piece. And I'm certain that other components of the publishing, of the book publishing and so forth out there are probably passing our hobby by. But because it's a hobby industry and as, you know, as Bruce points out, do-it-yourself <laughs> operations, that's not easy to, to, to foot those bills or put that time in, you know, because it's a part-time thing that people do. So I get that. And that totally makes sense, Bruce, what you're saying. So I'm, I'm buying what you're selling there. Yeah. Good stuff to hear from Bruce from across the pond. He ran a butt ton of games this past weekend. Oh, my God, did he ever. Yeah. yeah. A lot of virtual Gary Con stuff going on for Bruce, yeah. which is cool. Great stuff. All right. You ready? I'm ready. Let's get into the main topic, shall we? Yeah. All right, Sean, here we go. So, <clears throat> Mr. DeShane did this, and it got me thinking when he was running Astonishing Swordsman and Sorcerer Hyperborea. He did a lot of dice behind the screen. Like, hey, my character was a scout. I picked a scout. I wanted to sneak. He said, what's your... I said, I got a 6 and 12 chance. I said, do you want me to roll that? He goes, no, I roll those. I'm like, oh, that's cool. And he had a number of those type of... Um, listen checks and so on that he would roll for us and then give us the how what what you got out of it and i freaking loved it um when i was picking locks he goes you would know if you open the lock that's on you okay cool i get to roll my pick locks thing so that was kind of neat but when he rolled when i'm listening at the door what do i hear you don't hear anything okay and there was a piece of me that's like wonder if tim rolled for shit or if tim's fucking with me maybe he's fudging i mean there's nothing ah you know, so all that wonder was in my head. And I really liked it. And so we're talking about those things where, you know, your ninja's moving silently. Your street samurai's trying to hear if there's anything behind the door. Wizard trying to spot the hidden treasure in the library. Or you're trying to smooth talk a guard or something. So we've talked about this a little bit before. And Sean and I have mentioned doing it. And quite frankly, Tim was one of the only game masters that I can remember in recent or distant past that have done it successfully to me. And I, I think he put the time in to make sure that he had all the, all the stuff written down, but it really worked. And I thought he implemented it very well. And I know some people hate it when the game master rolls any dice for the players and vice versa. I mean, there's games like Cypher System, which basically all the dice, uh, it's all player facing, you know, even uh, Gumshoe from a large part, is very player-facing. Player We've talked about that before, too. So, Sean, let's talk about this a little bit. I want to kind of bring back the should the Game Master be rolling checks for the players? Is it a it, yes, but it depends perspective? Is it a only in certain systems type of thing? So, what do you think, Sean? It, when, what, did, you like, did you like having Tim do that? Or Yeah, I think the way that he handled it was done really well um in my opinion but um i guess did add to the game for you besides going oh that's a kitschy thing that tim does did it added to the game for brett now that doesn't mean it worked for you right i looked at it and went "Ooh, mystery i don't really know i'm gonna have to go with this intel that the game master is telling me this is kind of cool did you have that same feeling or were you kind of like man it's just the thing i did um 
I didn't have a lot of those experiences like you did, Brett, because I wasn't. Um, you're too busy trying to convince us all you're a priest. <laughs> well, in the instances that you're a game master and you are determining who makes the roll of the dice, like Tim, obviously, I think many game masters or dungeon masters that have been doing it a little, little while have their own system of doing things. So when they say, oh, yeah. if somebody's going to search, it's always going to be me or it's always going to be them, depending, or they're going to have conditions around or the criteria around how they make that decision on the fly, okay? So with Tim, he's probably got his nail down and he rolls it that that way. I didn't have anything where if I had to make a check, it would warrant me not knowing the result as a player character. So even looking, okay then, so you didn't have that exact experience as I did because it was happening to my scout. Did you enjoy the fact that I wasn't like, hey, the interaction that Tim and I were having was cool to you? Did you think, hey, that's cool that Brett doesn't roll that die? Oh, yeah. I liked how it flowed for sure. And I do like the fact that, you know, Brett as Brett would not know whether he succeeded or not. And he could play accordingly, I guess. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. I think, to me, it's interesting because when you talk about on the one hand, we'll say, hey, this is cool. Because in this particular interest, in, instance, I'm listening at the door, right? Thief's there, press the ear to the door. Tim rolls the dice. Do I win? Do I not? Do I succeed? What do I hear? He tells me I hear noise or I don't, what type of noise, how, and all that good stuff. And keeping some of that hidden encouraged me as a player to play differently. And actually, for me, it helped me play what I think was better for Brett anyway, is that I had a harder time having to take knowledge, meta-knowledge, and transfer it into confidence. And by that, I mean, if I would have failed, oh, I, rolled a, I rolled a 12, fuck. Well, I guess there's nothing behind this door. Do, 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 do. You know, that's <laughs> that's kind of that's kind of how I grew up in, in the gaming sphere, is that if you rolled to do a thing and you failed... Yeah, I know I'm supposed to play like I don't know, so I'm going to walk in with a finger up my nose. Do, do, do. Oh, my gosh, where'd these orcs come from? Oh, I never heard a thing. Too much noise to hear anything. Ha, ha, ha. It, and it took that kind of bad joke out of my mind. And I had to, for me anyway, really facilitated Brett as player being more in the, in the moment as my character and trying to figure out what I'm going to do. What, what, what do I do if I hear nothing? Well... I started playing the guys fairly cautious. I'm like, you know, he's cautious. So he's not the kind that's going to kick the door in regardless. But I'll open the door and, you know, go into the room. I didn't bother to warn the rest of the party like, hey, I didn't hear anything, but get ready just in case type of deal. Right. So for me, it encouraged me to play different slash better than if I would have rolled the dice, failed the fucking thing. And I would have, I know me, I would have made some stupid meta joke. And then tried to get back into character and, and pretend like I didn't know any better. Right. And this way, it's, I really didn't know any better. And I, I liked that. I thought that was a cool, it was a cool piece. And I do know with some of my, uh, some players I've had over the years, even some of the guys in my group, some, depending on, like, if your dice are bad, sometimes you kind of give up. Like, look, whatever, whatever. 
I don't know. I don't hear anything. Of course I don't. Look at this. My dice fucking suck. It can be a downer. And again, it has this meta impact to the player and how they're reacting and acting. Do you, do you follow what I'm saying, Sean? Yeah. Does that make sense? It does. And, and you know, there's a good point Hobbs puts up um, that mentions like it works well with skill checks because it doesn't. It, it prevents multiple players from saying, oh, I'll, I'll try the same thing, right? Because they don't know whether you've passed or failed. So it, it does. Yeah, there's no skill dog piling. Why, right. why are 10 people going to listen at this fucking door? That's skill just stupid. Do- skill dog piling? Yeah. Yeah, that's hilarious, man. Yeah, yeah. Write that down. Skill dog Actually, I still, uh, Matt Colville used it, and oh, I have used it before. I see. So it's not just a, it's not just a breath thing other people have used it. I gotcha. I actually got it from, I can't remember who in my group said it ages back. Stop fucking dogpiling. I'm like, what? What? Oh, wow. That's what you mean. Okay. <laughs> but, you know, that's a good point. Like, I never even thought of it because I think by saying, oh, well, roll. Oh, I got a four. It, auto- it automatically, it's like, it just triggers something in everybody's brain. Oh, I try. I try. I try. Okay. Where like a search, like a search check, right? Yeah, I rolled a four. Fuck it, I'll try. I can try. I got a search. I I rolled a twenty. Yeah, what do I search? Yeah, and it's not. It's so weird that it's like conscious or subconscious that that happens because when you when it occurred with you, I mean, nobody. I don't know if everybody had the uh, quote unquote ability to do it or the skill to do it, but it didn't occur to anybody that nobody jumped out of their seat to go, oh, oh hey, well, I'll tr- I'll try because they don't. No, you might have succeeded. Yeah. So no, we why had are you people trying? Searching, like, we had we had people searching rooms and poking around and trying different things, and everybody got to try the thing, and ev- and the rest of us just assumed if the other person didn't find anything, there's nothing to be found. <laughs> we we didn't sit there and go, well, I don't know if Curtis is really searching. Step aside, Takashi. I'm searching this room now. No one did that, you know. And and Curtis and, and the other part, where he's up front with me. You know, my rogue's doing the thing. He's following me at the cautious distance with the with the light, and I'm just playing a telephone game back to him. What I see, he took it for literal. Whatever I told him is what he what I told him. And he's like, okay, nothing, nothing, nothing. That's just actually how my character squirreled away a, a sack full of coins because no one was there looking at me when I took it. <laughs> yeah, that even you know. It was, it was, but anyway, apart from my chicanery there, it was, I, I liked it. it. It had me play better. And I think the the skill dog piling thing, I didn't even notice until you mentioned it now. Um, thanks to Hobbs there. Yeah. But I, I think it's, it didn't happen because we're all like, well, he tried. Why would I just walk up and do it for them? Yeah. Right. Yeah. There's no, there's no uh, urgent, like, you know, I'm not compelled to do it. You know, the other thing that we were doing too with that, and I think this aided, and Tim doing this aided in this, I was doing all the scout things. My niche was to go listen, sneak, and do. No one tried to do that with me or in place of me, even if I failed, because that was my job, right? Yeah. That's what I do well. When we had to identify some stuff, we looked to Hobbs Necromancer and in vain tried to get him to help us. <laughs> She's the world's worst necromancer, as we found out. World's worst sorcerer. Probably a good necromancer, terrible sorcerer. Anyway, point is, is when those things went to that character, no one else said, well, I can Can I do it instead of him? That that never happened at all. Right. Any attempts, any of the ideas, anything that the people wanted to do. Um, who was that? Was that Jeff was playing the paladin? My buddy Jeff? 
No. Oh, no, Jeff. Who's... Cypher? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so Jeff's a paladin. He goes, well, as a paladin, I think I would know blah, 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 blah. And we went, okay. And you, even though you were masquerading as a cleric, no one else in the room said, oh, my character would also know religious stuff, too. It looks like he fucked that up. Can I try it? All the niche protection kind of fell into place. I don't know if that was just because, quite frankly, it was a really good group to play with. I'd love to play with all those folks again. That was fun. But I think um, I think that helped. And like kind of a knock-on effect, it really helped to do that. Now, I think I have talked to players, and some of them in my own group, that they don't like it because they believe that knowing the die roll helps them role-play the result better. My usual response to that is, well, you can't do the, oh, I guess I lost, do, 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 don't know what's in beyond the secret door. You know, you, you can't do that. Um, but I have seen good players. And I, when I say that, my, it's not that my players aren't good, but I give them shit for that. But I have seen players like, okay, they fail, and they take that to um, to a role-playing place. And sometimes, quite frankly, I've seen it uh, fall very comedically, where people are like, well, I must have earwax problems, or I was listening to the wrong door, or... God damn, I, you guys are just so fucking loud. Stupid fighter. If you wouldn't be clanking that armor, I could have heard the goblins man this door. Next time, sit fucking still. It turned into an inner party role-playing moment. And the concept of having that die roll in your hands, your success, your success, your, your success or failure, success is when you combine the two. That's right. Um, your success is in your hands, right? Any dice that are going to impact your character's abilities, knowledge, Go forward, go back attitude, whatever that is, is your fault. You know, you don't have to say, well, a DM, what if he fudge the dice? What if he's lying? Right? You don't have to worry about that. Some, and if you're rolling everything in the open, the game master rolls all the dice in the open. I mean, all the dice in the open? You're rolling everything in the open? Doesn't matter who fucking rolls it <laughs> at that point. Because if, if we were using, we were not using an online die roller for that one, but if everything we did was all dice in the open, Tim rolling for us doesn't matter because there's nothing secret about it anymore. You know what I mean? Yeah. So have you heard those arguments for it before, Sean? Like, hey, no, I want to do this because of those things. Like I want, they feel like it's an agency thing. I want to be a master of my own dice destiny. Helps me role play. I don't trust the DM in some cases. I don't, you know, I don't see too many people at games that get hung up on a lot of that stuff, really. Um, there's usually maybe one person, but that one person is usually a pain in the ass no matter what. <laughs> they're going to get hung up on whatever no matter. It, yeah, they're purposely <laughs> at the table just to kind of screw with you throughout the day. I'm waiting for something in this game to irk me. That, that irks me this evening. And, Bring me that thing. And I, think, I shall gripe about it. And I think that same per person or that type of person may not do it with a table full of strangers. Like if, oh. uh, so I have a friend of mine that I've known for a long time and I know that what we're laying out here and you're, would you have a player that would get hung up on that stuff? He would. And he wouldn't do it because, 
well, wait a minute. I think I should be rolling that, not you. I think uh-huh. it's a, it might be part of that. And then there's also a part of, well, I'm just going to kind of screw around at the table and push people's buttons. Yeah, there are people like that. <laughs> and so he does that, um, I think, I think sometimes he believes he's being just, wait a minute, I truly believe that's my role. I should be doing that role. Why are you doing that role? I should be yeah. doing that role. Come on, man. Come on, man. Hey, man. Yeah, yeah. And then it's like, all right, fine, go ahead. Like, I'm not going to sit here and argue about it for 10 minutes. Let that fine. <laughs> it's not worth it. I, I'm not going to die on that hill. Yeah, that's that. So I think you could say this flat right now is that there's some systems where this doesn't make any sense. If all the dice are in the player's hands, guess what? Right. I either have GM intrusions or something else. I mean, yeah. there are some systems where this discussion doesn't make a fucking bit of sense at all. No. Right. And that's fine. I also think that there are some some settings where sometimes we don't always think about this because we tend to, at least in my space, I tend to think about this as a D&D or that fantasy setting when I look and search like a thief checking for stuff. And I tried to say it at the beginning, even in Shadowrun, you street samurais trying to figure something out, trying to hear a noise down the alleyway. That's just as right for Game Master Rolls Dice as Thief trying to hear hear noise. Or, you know, you're trying to smooth talk the police officer as the same thing as smooth talking the city guard or the bartender or whatever the case is. You know, so I think the set, it's not not even the setting. I think the system can stop you. But I don't think the setting would necessarily stop you. It is, um, it's just the style of play that if you're not used to. And I tell you, the thing that usually slows me down, and this is where I didn't have a chance. I wrote, made myself a note at the end of the game. I want to ask Tim what, how, he's do, how he keeps up on it is the bookkeeping piece of it. And this is where a lot of us as game masters, I feel, we start with a great aspiration of I'm going to keep track of everybody's skill checks so I can roll certain skill checks for everybody. And then about three levels in, we go, fuck, I haven't updated my chart. <laughs> I forgot. I forgot to update my chart. Some of a bitch. Okay, cool. Now, in these days uh, of online character sheets and so forth, I, like if I was rolling roll 20, I can see everybody's character sheet as Game Master. So I can just look it up myself. I could roll the die on my table or something privately if I really want to keep it secret. Um, or you could ask characters to use like a DM's Guild or... Or even fucking update a spreadsheet. There's a lot of different things in the Google Doc you could do to put the onus on people, but there's that chance, that risk, that the data you have is outdated. I think one of the ways to get around that is either as a game master, you build yourself some discipline to always do it, or there's a partnership discipline here that's like, I will ask you, I need you to give me, because you're going to go away, you're going to update your character sheet, at the start of every game, I'm going to ask you, did any of your skills change? If you say no, I will not update the sheet. If halfway through a game you say, ah, oh, fuck, I forgot, the answer is no, because I asked you at the beginning. I'm not retrofitting it because three quarters in this game, you just realized that you forgot to tell Brett you updated your stealth skill. Too fucking bad. Well, I would have made those last 20 stealth checks. I just forgot to tell you, you know, that time when you asked me specifically to my face, hey, Sean, did you update it? Yeah, I forgot to tell you. So, or I thought I didn't, but I really did. And, no, 
you have to be kind of black and white about it. But I think you can you can kind of do a partnership owner on up. But at the end of the day, it's bookkeeping that somebody or somebody's have to make sure that they're keeping track of. But right. You, but you don't do you let them at that point adjust their skill and then move forward in the same in the same set. So session? in that in that scenario in that scenario, let's say it's you and me, and I said, Sean, and I asked the group, did anybody update their skill? Sean, nope. Blah 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 blah. Halfway through the game, Sean goes, oh, fuck. I actually did. I updated my stealth skill. I'm like, no, too bad. Damn. I asked you hours ago, dude. No. However. Damn, that's harsh, I, man. I know. I'm just getting old and pissier. But um, you could say, all right, cool. But I'm not going back. I think, my, I think I would take the harder line, Sean, if somebody wanted to bemoan the fact that they shouldn't have failed, quote unquote, all those other checks earlier that evening or that other session. But that's on you, jackass. <laughs> well, I asked you, you didn't tell me. Um, but I could also see being lighter on it and saying, okay, cool, let's update it from this point forward. You have a plus five and not a plus four. Cool. Got to run. Uh, uh, hey, hey, who forgot to tell me? I forgot to tell you, Brad. Okay, good boy, Sean. Off we go. Type of thing. But I think at the end of it, it comes down to. It's bookkeeping and keeping track of notes and stuff is not always a game master's forte, even a player's forte. We all bemoan this and we all have a thousand different things that we think, oh, you know, this time, this time, there'll be online notes after every session. And this time I will update this thing and it, it falls. But what I think happens there is you've got to recognize it fell and the only way to make sure that it doesn't is to update it then. This goes to a lot of our role-playing practice stuff. I want to keep track of these private skills so I can roll these dice myself for you. We all agreed. We all thought it'd be great that Brett's going to do this. Sean, Eileen, everybody's on board with it. And Eileen forgets and, or Brett forgets and Sean forgets, whatever. I think what you do is you, every time you forget, you correct the situation and move on. And eventually you will develop that muscle and that habit to always do it. It'll just be a thing you have. Because I'm willing to bet that DeShane did not just wake up one day and say, hey, I'm going to do this really cool thing and I'll have this mastered. You mentioned at the beginning of this. He's obviously been doing it for a while and has a mechanism that works for Mr. Tim so he can get that cooking. Right. And what he's doing, I want to find out. I'm going to, so I'm going to ask him. And Tim, if when you hear this, if you could reply to us, that'd be great that we don't have to bug you privately. We can share it. Um, and I may look at what Tim does and go, huh, I don't know if that'll work for me. However, I'm going to try it and then modify it as I go. But if it's something that you really want to get, kind of like when we talked about audio and other things, you got to try it. It's going to fucking fail at some point. You're going to try to say, God damn, I forgot to update X. All right, let's just stop the fight and get everybody's stuff updated good. Okay, sorry. Back to it. Off we go. Yeah, yeah, we're not winning Oscars here. There's no Emmy Awards up for anything and we're not losing money. It's just time. And we're hanging out having fun anyway. So... I think if it starts to fall apart on you, if nothing else, if the group is saying, I'm not having fun doing it this way, can we please stop? That's a different situation versus, oh, crap, I forgot again. God damn it, Brett. You forget every game. I know I'm a moron. Yes, you are a moron. Give me, a goddamn, <laughs> give me your goddamn bonuses. So, I mean, each of those has its own piece. But So, Sean, is this something you think you'd want to use? I mean... There's a lot of stuff you and I have talked about, like, wow, this would be really cool to do. And this one I, I think I want to try next time I get a uh, campaign going. Well, now, 
Yeah, I want. I would try it, and I don't think I would have a problem implementing it. My question to you, Brett, would be because you you play a group with a group that's used to you and used to things roll in a particular way. So now you're going to change gears. Yeah. Now, unless you're starting a new game, like, hey, we're going to try low fantasy. We're going to try ASSH. You know, we haven't played that before. And then from that point forward, you decided, like, this is the way it's going to roll. Everybody's, you know what I'm saying? Like, if if you did it in a game you're currently running, are those guys going to say, hey, wait, hold on a second. Like, we did it before this way. Now, now you're changing it? And it's the third session in this campaign? Yeah, it's not. It shouldn't be a big deal. Sure. But the other thing I like about what you're saying is that for me, it would be Astonishing Swordsman. I want to run it. So if I brought it to bear there, brand new game, brand new setting, we've not played in that before. It could be a great opportunity to try it. It's not the mechanics aren't that different than first or second edition AD. It's not hard. You played it. It's, it's easy enough. But it'd be a great opportunity for me to implement something different and then say, hey, you know that thing we did with, with Astonishing Swordsman? I want to do that when I run Cthulhu, or I want to do that when I run Pathfinder, or when I run 5e. And people are like, yeah, sure, why not? Yeah, that was cool. Yeah, let's do that. I think this might be a case of a really good thing to throw into the next new game or the game you haven't run in a long time, system-wise. I'm talking game system here. Just because... It's not, for, oh, I forgot we're doing it different now. Right. No, it's new. It's totally new. There's no, we just played 5e. Now we're we're done with that. Now we're out of the abyss. And you're telling me we're doing that different. Because why again? It's weird to change gears in the middle of a game that you've been running for a month, two months, or three or four sessions. Oh, yeah. I kind of like this new thing. I don't want to do it the way we've been doing it the last, I don't know, 20 hours of play. So I hope you guys are all good with that, right? Like, My buddy Alpha has tried to do that a couple times in 5e as we we're kind of kicking the tires on it. Say, oh, I want to try this. We're like, dude, last, I think the last thing he did, I said, That's, really? How, how, many more, how many more hours of this we got? He said, well, I think you're almost done. I said, let's do this next time. He's like, okay, good point. <laughs> like, dude. We just figured out all the other crap you wanted to modify, modify, modify. And I think we would have been dead five, five, six sessions ago if we had to implement all these rules at once at the beginning. But yeah, not only in the middle of a campaign, but even in the middle of same system, same system, same system. Right. You know, if you've been Call of Cthulhu in for a long time and then you jump back to D&D, yeah, everybody knows D&D and your crew. You've all played it before. Like, hey, I want to do something different. I got a cool idea to try to make this D&D thing. A little bit different. Let's try this. Or you've been D and D in the hell out of it, and you jump over to, uh, you know, a D stick D six Star Wars game or something else with with skill systems, and even games that don't have skill systems. You know, your BXs and such. Where a lot of things I was reading one of the old uh, Frank Menster boxes uh, books, and it was talking about hey, you know, a skill check. You know, in the one to, in the three to eighteen skill range, if you have a sixteen, roll a D twenty. 16 or less, and you succeed. Well, that's a matter of keep track of everybody's stats. In a game like that, quite frankly, the stats don't change all that much. Unless you get a magical item like Gauntlets of Overpower or something. But I just, I think this is, um, I think this is a pretty cool idea. And one of the other things that it reminded me of is uh, back in the day, way, way back, like Grandpappy, Grognardy days, the DM rolled all the dice. 
like for everything. I've read uh, accounts of where the game master rolled up all your characters for you, and gave them to you. What's the character you have? That's craziness. Everything. Yeah, you're you narrated what you want, what you wanted to do. I swing my sword at him. You know, I try a series of feints and thrusts, and when I cut for the jugular, okay, he, the DM rolls the dice and explains to you what happened. Okay, but a lot of times, I mean, that's how I know some people played. I've met some of those folks. I also know some other folks that when I mentioned it to them, they're like, huh, I was gaming at that time, but we all rolled our own dice. Mm. Because it was <laughs> just, you know. And I'm like, really? You all rolled your own dice? Well, I said, well, we all rolled the only two sets of dice we had. We passed them around the table, but they not everybody had dice. You know, the first guy to get a 20-sider passed it around the table type of thing because ages and ages back, we didn't have a plethora of polyhedrals at our disposal. But it's, it's interesting to see how it kind of changes. And then you take a game like Cypher System where or gumshoe and other very player-facing pieces where I push all the dice and all that dice agency, the randomizer agency, if you will, onto the players. It's a different way to go. And this is where I can see some people saying, I don't want to take that randomizer agency away from me. I want to hang on to that. I don't want to give that to the game master. And I think this is a piece when, if you're not, if you haven't tried it before, this is a very simple, don't knock it until you tried it. Maybe you do like broccoli, give it a shot. Um, and maybe find out it tastes like crap <laughs> and you don't want it and you don't want it, but at least give it a go. And if you've not, if you have done it and you've had a really bad experience with it, my advice would be all my experiences in the past personally have been somebody failed at the bookkeeping. We just said, fuck it and moved on. It's, you know, if you've had a bad experience before, how long ago is that? Are the same people still playing? Do you really want to try it? You know, give it another go type of deal. But do you think you'd ever do this, Sean? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think so. Do you have plans to do this, Sean? Or are you just are you just saying that to make me feel better? No. I mean, I think with the next game or whatever it is that I run, that I would um, look at things a little more clearer and see if it makes sense. When we're running games, uh, patching games, or whatever, this is something we should kind of, we should talk about too. When we go through the rest of this. Is like, hey, do you want to take a couple of these ideas and implement them? And this could be a fun one. So, cool, man. I might as well like, I don't know, take something that we actually come up with or or discuss. I should say we didn't come up with this stuff, but something we discuss and. I don't know. Actually, try it out. I don't know. See what happens. <laughs> actually, implement this bullshit we've been spewing for, what, six years? <laughs> Holy crap. They actually did the thing they said in episode two. Neat. <laughs> well, folks, if you've had this work or not work, or better yet, quite frankly, if you've got a mechanism, a tool set, how are you doing it? Um, and if you're like, hey, it only works for me in this game system, that's fine. Not knocking that. But if you've got a tool that says, hey, whenever I'm running D&D 5e, I always do this to get the info from my players. Or how are you keeping track of it? What are you doing? That would be great to hear. So we could share that stuff around the old uh, gaming BS campfire here. So that'd be cool. You good, man? Dude, I'm good, man. Let's get into right, die, roll. die roll. What do you up. say, Brett? Die roll? I like it. Yeah, let's get the die, die roll. is fun. Oh, my God. That's really loud. All right. Die roll segment of the show where we 2d4 miscellaneous points of gaming and geekery we want to bring to you we've got four this week uh first one con of champions may 23rd to the 25th 2020 um that's being put on by the folks over at tabletop events 
So the proceeds goes towards keeping tabletop events alive and kicking during these times. So thanks. Yeah, to- I've used, yeah, JT and the guys that do this, <laughs> they've announced that they're shutting down May 1st. Oh, this they, is a fact. they announced that? We had announced oh, they had- that we were going to shut down May 1st, but our community has loudly stated clearly that they do not want us to shut down, that we should run the crowdfunding campaign to help keep them going during the pandemic. So here's the deal. They're not making any fucking money at like at all for that component of their business <laughs> because tabletop events, guess what? There's no events happening. Gary Khan uses them. I got a hold of the Evercon team and I said, hey guys, as you're shifting leadership and doing things, be aware. If this software isn't available to you, this is going to be a son of a bitch because tabletop events, for me anyway, that is one of the things that helped my partners and I take Evercon from where it was to the next level. Gary Khan uses it. These are modified version of it, but I mean, a lot of different gaming conventions use this system and it is a rock solid system. Use it as, as intended. It just fucking works. So it's, um, it's really cool. I'd love to see these guys stay alive. So I'm thinking of, um, seeing if I can just donate some money, if I can't make the virtual convention, you know, how to, from a timing perspective, if you'd like to throw some cash their way, this would be a good time to help, help a good, good group of people that produce a goddamn good product for the gaming community. So anyway, that's my bit. Yeah. It's got some really, really cool features in it. So that's yeah, good, robust. So check that out. There's, they also have a list of things that, you know, if you support them, they, they're not doing a Kickstarter because they have the people, they have the audience to blast this out to because it's everybody that's ever registered for a game through their platform. Um, and they just don't want to give Kickstarter 5% for something that they don't need to. So um, I think they're, they've got a list of stuff that you can actually, I think if you contribute so much, you, I don't know, you get a date with Brad or something. I don't know. It's goofy. But oh, jeez. Nobody wants that. Nah, so, uh, let's see. What else? Next one. The Halls of Arden Vol. It's a mega dungeon published by Expeditious Retreat. It's um, authored by Richard Barton, uh, Chris Shorb's friend. This thing is no joke, ladies and gentlemen. You can find it on DriveThru. We'll have a link to it. It is not cheap, but it's also very large. Uh, 2,162 encounter descriptions. 14 NPC factions, 10 massive levels, 15 extensive sub-levels, 7 dangerous exterior locations, 149 new monsters. Uh, it's This thing's a beast. So Wow. Yeah, a full NPC appendix with 10 competing parties at three levels of power, over 140 original pieces of art, including 28 full-page illustrations. So definitely a lot of production behind it. Uh, we'll have a link also to the maps on drive through, which is pay uh, what you want for those. And then there's an, also a link to a blog entry where somebody actually interviewed Richard about the product so you can find out more about it. So um, it looks pretty cool for sure. Very nice. Yeah, it's big. And then uh, another one, Rollgate. Have you heard of Rollgate before, Brett? I have not. What is Rollgate, man? It's an online, in-character, out-of-character chat tool. So I thought it's nothing crazy robust, 
but you know, if you haven't heard of it, some oh. folks in the forums oh. were talking about it. I had never heard of it before, so I figured I'd throw it out there. So, um, I think, yeah, it's like a play by post is what Hobbs puts out there, which is neat. Yeah. So, another resource for everybody to take a look at. And then the last one, MapKeeper, which is a map tool Tim Deshane used for our ASSH online game this past Saturday, which we'll have a video up on YouTube. Uh, I'll probably put a link to that so you're wondering what I'm talking about. We used Zoom uh, to stream to Twitch and to communicate with everybody. But Tim had this cool tool where it's literally you upload a map as a picture and then you take your finger across your tablet and just... It's fog of war. It basically blacks yeah. the map out, and then you just erase yes. what pieces you want to show the party. It's awesome. Yeah, I, it's iOS only. My buddy, um, I found it a while back, shared with with Alpha and my game group, and that's what we use when we're in person gaming. Sure. So it's it's pretty damn cool. And the, the nice thing about it is it's any map. It doesn't have to be scaled. Blah blah blah. It's any map, any picture, anything you want. to Slap it on there and scrub away the black and show everybody what they what it is a character sees. Pretty cool. Yeah, it allows you to scroll. Mm-hmm. You know, around the map. So, yeah. And then there's, what, announcing Cyclops Con, I think. Oh, that's right. Goodman Games. We'll put that in there. Thanks, Hobbs. Um, Goodman Games is announcing Cyclops Con. Oh, that's right. I saw that. Yeah. And uh, that's going to be April 17th to the 19th. And it's an entirely online con. Uh, so everybody in the world can participate. They need to support. Uh, all Goodman Games product lines, DCC, DCC Lankmar, uh, MCC, which is Mutant Crawl Classics, uh, Metamorphosis Alpha, Metamorphosis Alpha, as well as 5E. So, um, so we'll see about that. Cyclops Con, check that out as well. We'll have a link in the show notes for that one. Thanks, Hobbs. But otherwise, I think that's it, Brett. Cool, man. Yeah. I think we're good. What are we talking about next week, you know? I'm not sure yet. I was going to get my kids on the mics tonight, but I had this other thing to talk about, and then the kids have been super busy running around like little munchkins that they are. So I might grab uh, AJ and Lana and get them on so we can talk about gaming and kids stuff and what they like about it and all that good Yeah, crap. I have to figure out how to do that. Yeah, I mean, I've got another mic here, like the one I've got, the CT, hmm. that you'd lent me. So I have that, so I could have them kind of lean in and swap back and forth, but... They won't have very good mic discipline, so I'm trying to figure out if I just grab one of them at a time or or I get one of them with a earbuds and a throat mic. I don't know. Not necessarily the nicest way to go, but we'll figure something yeah, out. Yeah, we'll figure if it we, out. If I can pull it off. Right. If not, we shall see. I've got a couple different ideas, Bruin. I will throw a few things at you, Sean. Yeah, sounds good. Thanks, everybody that's tuned in via Discord as well as Twitch. You can catch us at gamingandbs.com forward slash Twitch you want to see us we don't have like a steady hey we're doing it mondays at seven brett and i kind of re roll free flowing at the moment until we Mm -hmm. pin down and schedules start to kind of solidify yeah calm down a bit but otherwise i'm sean and i'm brett good night good game and all this episode of gaming and bs brought to you with the help from the following bsers Graham Minert, Corey Wynn, Michael Dinos, Joe Swick, Curtis Takahashi, Aaron Raylia, Corey Welch, 
Larry Hout, Mark Tasaka, Pure Mongrel, Chris Steele, Ron Bishop, Thomas Hook, Wayne Humphrey, Craig, Brandon Barnes, Laramie Wall, Dan LaValley, Jason Hobbs, Guy, Old School DM, Perry Besor, Jim Fitzpatrick, Christopher Gray, John Kayward, Corey Gonzalez, Eileen Barnes, Robert Nemeth, Niall Diamond, Howard Bishop, Eric Zalzweedle, The Closet Gamer, Jeff Goad, Ray Otis, C.W. Mellencamp, Craig Huber, Old Scouser Roleplaying, Jared Rasher, Andy Hall, David F. Baylog, Harrigan, Melissa Bashinsky, Brian Rumble, Henry Newcomb, Eric Talvola, Huss Carl, Roger Brasset, Mark Soam, Andy Olson, Eric Avia, Ron Blessing, Jeff Seifert, Ghost GM, Mike Hess Jr., Angus, Tony Sugarloaf Baker, Rory Weston, Curtis Hinson, Jim Ingram, Kurt Dirtilis, a.k.a. Dan, Chad Glayman, Finolf, Josh Wallace, Merkel Froelich, and Rich Wishon. Hey, do us a favor. If you've liked what you've heard on this show, go tell somebody about it. Have them subscribe or give us a listen. Head over to gamingandbs.com forward slash subscribe. Thanks, BSers! This, this has, has been, been a Litterbox, Litterbox Studio, Studio production. production.